0: Take your Bibles if you would, and let me just take a moment to welcome our uh, LifePoint Church family across the campus. We're so grateful that you're a part of this as well. We're mindful of you and thankful that you are there. Take your Bibles if you would, along with the folks in this room. And let's turn to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, as we continue this series about being all in. Being all in and what, uh, what a great moment this is in the book of Joshua. This is the moment, folks. This is the, one of the great turning points in the people, people of Israel's lives. This is the moment where they cross the river. They cross the Jordan. After 40 years of wandering, they're going to finally go into the promised land. And so this is a miraculous moment. This is the crossing. This is when the people go from where they shouldn't have been to where they ought to be. And some of us need to do that. And we need to think about that on a regular basis. Are we wandering and squandering life in the wilderness? Or are we winning and moving forward by faith in the life of promise? So take your Bibles. Let's let's turn to Joshua chapter 3. And I want to begin with the miracle moment. We're going to go to the end of the chapter, verse 14. Then we're going to come back and see what led up to this miraculous crossing. But here we go. Watch verse 14. Let's follow along. So when... The people set out. When the people set out, I don't know what your translation says, but you're never going to move on until you move out. So they set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. And by the way, look what it says right here. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. In other words, there was a flood. It flooded during this time. Of, uh, this would have been a time when the Jordan was just rushing. There would have probably been some rapids and some flowing water. And the water would have been turbulent and full of mud and different things like this. This was not the time. I mean, God couldn't have picked a worse time to cross the Jordan. But God said, today is today. I'm going I'm to work wonders among my people. So as soon as the priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant stuck their feet, they had to touch their feet in the water as soon as that happened, look what happened. Verse 16, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam the city that was beside Zarathon, And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea as we know it, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite of Jericho. So guess who was watching? Jericho. And we're going to see them in a couple of weeks. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on what kind of ground, church? On dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until how many how much of the nation all were in all the nation finished passing over the Jordan I can't wait to see this when I get to heaven what that must have looked like what a day when literally in some estimate between one and two million Israelites had to cross over this Jordan What a miraculous day. What a wonderful day. What a day they would never forget. It is a day that represents something for you and me. It represents God's desire. And I really believe the reason that it is here is that you and I, he wants to work wonders in our lives. He wants to to do things in our lives. But what stands between us, And just some of the wonders He wants to do in our lives and the the peace He wants us to enjoy and the abundant, fruitful life He has for us. What lies between us is a a flood of doubt, a barrier of doubt, a barrier of fear, a barrier of compromise. And He wants to do wonders in our lives. And we're going to see as we back up into Joshua chapter 3, what was it that helped the people experience God that day? What is it that you need to do and that I need to do that allows us to experience the wonder, the wonder of God? Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you just give clarity to this message, that you'd help us not be afraid of the flood, not afraid to get our feet wet, not afraid to obey your instructions. God, help us keep our eyes on our Savior. God, I know you want to do wonders at West Side. You want to do wonders in our church. You want to do wonders in the lives of every single one of these believers. And I know, God, they hunger to experience you. They hunger for the fruitfulness, the fruitfulness of life lived, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, guide us today. Teach us from your word in Christ's name. Amen. When I was pastoring up in Atlanta, right after Katrina hit, which was probably the last time we had a massive uh, flooding like this, and it wasn't probably a week or two after Katrina and all the disaster happened that a a small congregation showed up in my church of about 30 or 40 African-American folks. And they were all sitting together... And so, of course, we greeted them. It didn't take long to realize they had left New Orleans. All of their homes had been washed away. They left the muck. They left the mud. They left New Orleans. And they came to Atlanta. And we were part of the folks that kind of helped put them up into shelter. Some of them stayed at the church. Some of them stayed in our homes. Some of them had other relatives in other homes. But the folks had left... The old life behind, and here's what most of them did. They stayed right there. They never went back. They never went back. They experienced the disaster. They experienced the the flood, and they moved on from it, and then they moved into a new life, and that is exactly what is happening right now with the people of Israel in this passage. God is saying, listen, the wilderness is no place for you. It is time for you to grow weary of the wilderness, to grow sick of life, compromising the kind of life God wants you to have. You need to move out of that into a new life, and you don't need to go back. But sometimes we get stuck, and the people of Israel have been stuck for 40 years. But I want to remind you what he said in Deuteronomy. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23. God said to the people of Israel, he brought us out from Egypt that he might bring us in. He brought us out that He might bring us in. He didn't bring us out of Egypt to let us wander. He didn't bring us out of Egypt to let us be fruitless. He brought us out of Egypt to bring us into the land of promise, a place that had cities, a place that had homes, a place that had fruitful uh, areas to grow crops and to do all of those things, a, a land flowing with milk and honey. He brought us out of death out of sin and death listen believers he brought us out of that not to bring us into a life of fruitlessness a life of peacelessness a a life of joylessness he didn't bring us into that and so maybe you're you're wandering in the muck and the mud of that wilderness and you just you just want to move forward today and you don't want everyone to go back we don't want to be stuck can you imagine can you imagine uh, folks, and, and there have been stories of this, but you see the, the boats that are floating down the neighborhoods and the waters up, and there's people sitting up on the roofs of their houses, and you see, and they've got their family up there, they've got their few belongings, they're sitting up on the roof, and the, and the boats come up to there, and there's a friendly bunch of rescue officers in a little boat, and they said, here we are, we're here. we're here, we're ready to take you away from this, and to give you shelter, and to give you something else, and they look and say, no, we're, we're just kind of content right here. We, we're going to step. We don't have a lot. We're just, get, just throw us a little bit of bread or manna every day. Just give us a little bit of something just to help us survive. We'll be fine right up on this rooftop. Do you think there would be people crazy enough to do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's exactly what the Israelites did for 40 years. They fed on manna. When God had for them a place where they could go and be fruitful. A place where they could experience God. And so God wanted to bring them out. And they kept turning him down. They kept turning him down. In Numbers chapter 14, let me read to you kind of the original. Back when they had just come out of Egypt and they sent in the spies. Here's the response. The spies came back. Ten of them said, uh, oh, it's a little scary over there. They got a lot of giants, they got a lot of problems. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, said, No, let's go. Let's go. It's looking good. If God is with us, who can be against us? And they're saying, Let's go. And these folks said, no, no, we're kind of content right up here on the rooftop. We're kind of content here in the mud and the muck of the wilderness. We know it's nice over there, but we we wanna we don't like this. And listen to what it says in November, no Numbers, November, Numbers 14. All the congregation raised a loud cry. The people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt and they said to one another let us choose a different leader. Let's get rid of Moses and go back to Egypt. And the spies, the two good spies came in and said no, 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 let's follow Moses. Let's go into the, go into the promised land. We can do it. And they said oh by the way, let's all get stones and shut these two guys up. No thank you. We're going to sit right here in the flood. We'll make it somehow for 40 years. What changed in Joshua chapter 3? What changed where God's people finally moved from the wilderness of disbelief into the promised land of fruitfulness? Well, I'll tell you what changed. Let's look at verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim. They set out. They decided it was time... To move out. Now, what what kind of led to that? Well, here's what here's what I believe finally happened. Moses died. And a couple of messages ago, we talked about the fact that sometimes things have to die before we can move on. They had been become uh, dependent upon Moses, and now Moses had died. They had had the funeral for Moses for 30, 30 years, but I, I think basically they finally got sick and tired. Of being sick and tired. Have you ever gotten to that point? Have you ever grown weary of the wilderness? Have you ever gotten to the point and said, All right, I can't button my coat anymore? It's over. I am sick and tired of not being able to wear my clothes. I am gonna exercise. I'm gonna cut my Food down. See, I can still button my coat, so I'm not there, but anyway, uh, they finally got sick and tired of being sick. They said, Why? All right, we've had enough 40 years of this, of wandering in the wilderness, of facing all of these folks. Let's go. And so maybe you just need to take a take a long look today and say, you know, I'm just I'm I'm sick of my life the way it is. I'm tired of the tents that I've been living in of compromise. I'm not ever fully committed to God. I'm not ever fully engaged with God. I'm sort of half-hearted about everything in my life. I don't really, I'm not selling out to Christ. And the pastor's been preaching about going all in. Well, I'm not all in. I'm half in, if I'm even half in. You finally come to the point and just say, I am not getting anywhere. I'm going around in circles and I don't want to die this way. So you just got to grow weary of the wilderness where you go up to Joshua. Say, Joshua, just find me a spot. Let's get across this river. Let's go. Joshua gets up, and they set out. They broke camp. Some of you need to break camp with the world. If you don't break camp and pull up the tent pegs, you're never moving forward. So they grew weary. They grew weary of the wilderness. God will do wonders. But you've got to grow weary of apathy, compromise, of wishy-washiness, of sin. So they grew weary. But there's another reason that I believe they set out. Unlike the first time the spies came back, at the end of chapter 2, two spies came back from Jericho. They came back from the promised land. They had gone over, and I'm going to preach that sermon on a Sunday night about Rahab and that that whole chapter 2. But these two spies came back, and they gave a report at the end of chapter 2 in verse 23. The two men returned, they came down from the hills, passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. They gave the report the very next verse. The people got up and they set out. They left Unlike the last time where they feared and they doubted and they cried and they wept and said, kill the spies, we don't want to hear about them, get us a new leader. This time, this time they trusted the promises of God. They simply said, we're going to believe you this time, God. We're going to trust God's word. Now walk with me if you would, beginning at verse 5, and I want you to listen To all the promises that God gave to his people. Before he worked the wonder, they had to get sick of the wilderness and they had to trust in his promises. And here are his promises. Look at verse 5. Here's some promises to the people as a whole. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do what? Wonders among you. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. You're going to have to trust me with tomorrow. You're going to have to decide to believe me with your tomorrow. So they pulled up their tent pegs. They packed up their belongings. They said, said goodbye to the wilderness and they said, Joshua, tell us to do. They were trusting the promises. God said, I'm going to work wonders, but it's going to be tomorrow, and you're going to have to trust me. Listen to what Joshua said to the priests. Priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Now, in the book of Genesis, we had another flood, and we had another ark, right? Anytime you see these floods, you see these arks. This ark's a little bit different. The ark in Genesis was a big wooden boat and it saved the eight folks that decided to believe the preaching of God's word and they came onto the ark and they were saved through the judgment flood. This time the ark is that golden box that had wandered with them had had led them in that time in the wilderness and it was the gold box that contained the fragments of the law of Moses and some of the manna it contained it contained the law and it also was stained with blood because it was the place that they took that annual sacrifice the blood offering was put on that mercy seat it was considered the very throne of God and there's several sermons in the significance of the ark. But what you need to know, this was the presence and power and law of God and the ark of the covenant. They were going to follow this ark all the way through. But Joshua said to the priest, Take that ark. It's an ark of promise. That's what the word covenant meant. And so they knew when they saw the ark that God was going with his promises. And with his law and with his power. Look at verse 7. Here's God's word to Joshua. Even Joshua had a promise. I mean, God is so faithful. I mean, he gives everybody promises. You and I have the promises of his word. And he even comes to Joshua and he says, Joshua, I going to make you a promise. Today, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. He made Joshua a promise. Joshua... Now, if I'd been Joshua, you know what I'd been saying that morning? Where is Moses when I need him? Where is that rod of Moses? I mean, they couldn't even find Moses' body. You know why? I don't think think God let them even find Moses' body because they'd have probably put it in the river. I mean, they would have worshipped that. It would have become a relic. It would have become another thing that they stuck in a box and said, we're going to trust this. And God said, no, you're going to have to move on. You've got to die to your past. You've got to move on in faith. And he says, Joshua, trust me with tomorrow. Step into the river. Thirdly, he, gave, he made another promise to the priests. Can you imagine? I wish I had some pictures of that flood water. But you're one of the priests and you've got a hold of one of the stays, one of the things of the and you're walking up to a rushing, a rushing white water. Uh, torrential river and you're coming up towards it and you're looking at your friends and you're getting up there and you're thinking, am I going to do it? And he's looking at you. Are you going to do it? And you're looking at him. Are you going to do it? Somebody had to trust God that day. Somebody. So those priests trusted the promise I promise you I'm going to split those waters but I'm not going to do it till you trust my promises I'm not going to do it until you get your feet wet until you stick your foot in that water you know how we are we'll sit back in the wilderness in the world and we'll say all right you divide the water you stop it. You make a big open way for me to go. Make sure there's not much cost to it. Then I'll break camp and pull up my tent pegs. That's when we break loose. God said, no. If you want to see my wonders in your life, you're going to have to trust my promises. And you're going to have to act on them. And so they did. They did, and sure enough, the water split. Look at verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. So this hadn't happened yet, all right? So they're, 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 the, the, the ark is getting close to the river, and the commanders are going out through the tribes. We need volunteer. We need one volunteer. From every single tribe, one man. And They're like, oh, yeah, me. What, what do I got to do? You got to stand in the middle of the river till everybody gets through. I think John raised his hand first. I need one man from every tribe who will stand. And what you're going to do is you're going to grab a stone. Where do you want me to grab a rock? From the dry bed in the middle of the river. I can't wait to talk about this next week. You grab a rock. They trusted the promise. They trusted the promise. Verse 13 says, And when the souls of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So God is saying this. This what He's saying to me. I think this is the lesson of Joshua chapter 3. If you will move out, by faith, move out of what you hate, sin, compromise, fruitlessness, peacelessness, are you tired of that? If you will move out of that, trusting His promise, in a desire to move on into obedient, obedience and fruitfulness in the kind of life God wants you to live. If you will move out with a desire to move on, God promises this. I'll be, I'll be with you every step of the way as you move through what you fear the most as you move through what frightens you as you move through what is going to be difficult and hard as you move through if you want to move out so you can move on God promises to help you move through the third thing Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this. Then Joshua said to the people, Okay, before we can go, and you want to see God work wonders. You're going to have to consecrate yourselves. Anybody use consecrate in a sentence this week? Not a common word. Hey, did you consecrate yourself before you? We don't use that very often, but it's a powerful, powerful word. It meant It means to... Cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself. In the Bible, this imagery, it's it's of washing one's body, changing clothes. So he says, I want you to go back to your tents. Before we go into the promised land, I want you to take a bath. And I want you to change the dirty clothes. In fact, why don't you just burn them? Throw them in the garbage. You are starting a new life. To consecrate themselves was to basically die to the life of the wilderness. Wash the wilderness ways off. The stench of the wilderness. The stench of compromise and sin. To just wash that away. And you know, I just picture this. I was just thinking about this. Where are a million people going to wash or take a bath before they can cross the Jordan? The only answer I can figure out is probably they had to go down to the Jordan. And so here they are. They've been told, you're going to cross this, and it's just this torrent. And they're in there, and God's saying, take a bath in this. Just wash yourself off. Get clean. We're going to baptize you that way, and then we're going to baptize you tomorrow. You're going to walk in and through the waters, and you're going to come out a, a new person. You ever wondered why we make a big deal about immersion? Dunking. Because when we see the picture of that in Scripture, as we see them going through the Red Sea, through the Jordan, it's just a beautiful picture of being consecrated, washing off the old life and putting on new clothes and walking into a newness of life. And, and, And you do that when you become a believer, but we need to do that regularly. As a a believer, when we get the the stain of the world and the stench of the wilderness on us, and we start compromising in our Christian walk and we get involved in sins, we need to to just uh, consecrate, sanctify ourselves, and wash that off. Let me give you some New Testament scriptures for this, okay? Here's some New Testament scriptures 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Follow with me, real quickly. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Here's one example. Just out of the second, Paul is talking to believers. These are Christians. He says, "'Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, "'I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people.'" Go out from their midst. Be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. You catch what Paul's doing. He's quoting the Old Testament, encouraging these Corinthian believers to uh, consecrate and sanctify themselves. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. Since we have these what? Promises, beloved. Let us do what? cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. Maybe one of the reasons you're not experiencing God's wonders in your life, God's peace in your life, is you will not wash off the sin. You will not walk away from the sin and the defilement that is in your life. You need to take a long, hard look like these people in Israel did. Before I can enter into that promised fruitfulness, that abundant life, I've got to be willing to cast off these garments of compromise, these garments of sin, confess that sin to God, receive the cleansing and forgiveness of that sin which He is faithful to do. But you've you've got to do that. picture of the people coming out of Egypt into the wilderness is a picture of our redemption, where we go from lost to saved. How did they get out of Egypt? It was totally the work of God. Basically, they just killed an innocent lamb and put the blood. It was all grace. It was all blood. It was a sacrifice. And then they just followed Moses out. You and I can do nothing to be saved. We can only trust in the blood of Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. Now, though, we were brought out to be brought in to a new life. And sometimes if we're not careful, if we, if we get out and we're saved and we get out in there and we start to compromise and get defiled by sin, we get stuck, stuck in the wilderness. And now God's listen, I've saved you, but now it's your turn. You've got to confess that sin and sanctify yourselves. Look at verse 1 again. Since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. It's a balance, isn't it? It is a balance. I love to preach grace. We are saved only by grace. I will not get into heaven based on how much I cleanse myself. I will only go to heaven based on the cleansing of His blood by His grace through my faith in Him. But I'm here to tell you, I can miss out on a life of fruitfulness, miss out on a life of joyfulness and peacefulness and impact because I choose To live in the mud and the muck of this world rather than to move on by faith, setting aside the world, setting aside my flesh, dying to myself, dying to my flesh, and following my Yeshua, following my Jesus into that kind of life. I don't want to do that. You want to do that? I want to see his wonders. In my life, not just the wonder of salvation, but the wonders of seeing him work in my daily life. Colossians 3 says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death what is earthly or wildernessy in you. Sexual immorality, impurity. Passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the flood of God's wrath is coming. On account of these. In these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Did you see that? You used to walk in those, but they're still hanging around. And if you don't put them away, you die to those. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The Lord wants to work wonders in your life when you finally get sick of the wilderness. When you finally trust Him in His promises. When you finally wash yourself through repentance and confession consecration of your life wash yourself but then there's a fourth thing that these folks do they've got to do this for the wonder and the miraculous the promised land to come look at verse 3 it happened when they followed the ark Commanders came through the people and said to the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. The Ark of the Covenant is mentioned 16 times in chapter 3 and 4. It's called the Ark of the Promise, the Covenant, ten times. The Ark of the Lord, three times. Simply the Ark, three times. It is the most significant thing in those two chapters. It's more significant than the river, the people, the priest, Joshua. It is God's power, God's presence. And here's what that Ark represents to you and me. That Ark, that Ark has had kind of an interesting journey. In the Old Testament, the ark was in a tent of furs. Remember that as it traveled around? Then it moved into Jerusalem where it became, the ark was in a tent of gold and bricks and mortar in the temple. But then Jesus came and said, the ark's no longer, uh, the presence of God is no longer in that temple. The presence of God is here with me now. I'm the ark. The very presence and throne of God is in the flesh, God in the flesh. So the ark moved from the temple to the flesh, and the flesh was among us. Can you imagine walking around with Jesus? How I mean, things were getting healed. He was casting out demons. You, they were walking, these disciples, with the ark. And then Jesus came, and he said this. He said, now, I am going to leave. And they're like, no, you're not going to leave. You're not going to die. We're going to stop that. We love life with the ark. We love life with the presence and power of God right here with us. He said, no, "No, I've got something better. Now, let me close with this. He says, I've got something better, John 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Another helper. Another like me. He says, I'm leaving, but God's going to give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the who? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him. For He, the Holy Spirit of God, who was with the Ark of the Covenant, was with and in the flesh of Jesus Christ, that power, that person of God, He dwells with you, and now, but we'll be where, church? In who? In you. In you. What a profound thought. Is it any wonder God's just saying, don't defile yourself? You are the temple of God. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Listen to His guidance. He's given you His Word. Read His Word. The Ark of the Covenant gave you... Now the the presence and power and Spirit of God has given you the law of God, and He's put it where? It's no longer in a box... It's in your heart. It's in the Word of God. You have it. Now, walk. Trust my promises. Die to the flesh. Detach from the world that would hold you back. Get off the rooftop and into the boat. And let Jesus take you to the new life. You so desperately want to live. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and eyes closed, now is just a time for you to assess where you are. Would you do that just for a moment? Where are you? What side of the Jordan River are you on? Are you refusing to leave a place of comfort and compromise or a place of sin, a place of fleshliness? Are you just saying, God, I don't want out of there. Get your rescue boats away from me. I like where I am. Or are you desperate this morning to move on, or have you moved through and you just you are, you are experiencing and seeking God every day, and you face the same struggles your pastor does? You know we all battle temptation, we battle struggle each and every day, and it's it's just easy, and we don't need to li- live under guilt. What we need to do is we need to continually keep our eyes focused on the ark. And the ark is the Lord Jesus. We keep our eyes focused on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith and we we listen to his word and we follow his word. We look at his example in his scripture and we try to live like him. We just follow our ark and we just trust that he's going to be with us in the river, in the trials, in the troubles. He's going to walk through all of these difficulties with us. He's going to walk ahead of us, and He's going to pave the way for us. We've got to trust this, and He's going to be behind us, making sure we're not caught off guard. He surrounds us. He surrounds us. Maybe today is just a day where you just thank Jesus for his goodness to you and you rejoice in that and you claim that and you thank him for the wonders of your life.